We the people. We 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 the people. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Welcome back, my friends. It is a Thursday episode of Afternoons Live. It's the 5 o'clock hour time when we turn to the Constitution of the United States. We begin to delve into what it says, what it meant, what it's come to mean, how it affects your day-to-day life. All those little interesting tidbits, I guess, about the Constitution of the United States that have come to fascinate us and indeed have now even entered into the Sheriff's 44 mag time. Pretty cool the way that worked out. Not surprising, though, because, I mean, how often do we get to interact with somebody who is so directly influenced right you know i mean he can't he can't do his job unless he's following you know the constitution i just thought it was fascinating where we left off last week's episode was right where will this stand up where will this go and uh and he says they can do that all right there you go anyway you want to join us the text machine is open 565 dave as is the email address dave diamond show at clearchannel.com of course, you can catch up on all of the available Constitution Thursday podcasts. They're available at KFIV1360.com. We have some interesting news about next year, what we're going to do, because uh, we are missing some big sections of that. So I think what we're going to do, John, well, I'll tell you here in just a second what we're going to do. Right. In the meantime, today we uh, we turn to the Ninth Amendment, kind of. Um, it's, it's a little confusing, but we'll get into that here in just a second as well. Don't forget to log on to KFIV1360.com. However, check out those podcasts. Get caught up. Eloqui cognicio. Stand up. Tell those who oppose liberty, don't tread on me. So the good news is, John, in the new year, once we get past the holidays and everything, because we're going to have, uh, we have two Thursdays where we're definitely not going to be here. <clears throat> Thanksgiving, obviously. Right. And I know some of you are going, well, you got Thanksgiving off. Well, I don't think sorry. anyone's saying that. You'd be amazed. Really? You'd be amazed. And uh, the, the final week of December, we probably will not be. I'm just, kind of, I'm just sort of planning at this point that we'll not be here that week. Um, you know, we don't get a lot of opportunities to take extended vacations and that's one of those chances that we have so we probably will not be here that week so those are two we will lose but in the new year we're going to go back and essentially john we're going to start at the beginning we're going to start at we the people again and work our way through this only this time making sure that we actually save everything so that we have all of those lessons through there but we are not going to lose this little segment that i like to call constitution in action i guess Mm -hmm. where we look at the constitution and day-to-day cases and that kind of stuff we are actually going to add another segment where we do that okay so expanded i guess if you will our constitution times together okay so you've got that to look forward to in the new year you don't seem excited by that yeah i was expecting (laughs) cheers and big old smile (laughs) we'll see how it goes dave i reserve judgment yeah. All right. Well, for the rest of you, <laughs> Did I, you know how I feel about Constitution Thursday. I love it. People I bounce this off have been very excited about it. 
the big debate is what to call that because I wanted to call it. I, I, I was just I was in the shower and I came up with Constitution in action. And I thought, well, that's really great, and then I realized CIA. And I don't, well, know, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if any. I, I would be surprised if anybody you know made that connection. No, oh, I did. Yeah, but I mean, like, are you going to wait a minute? That's yeah, I'm so never going to listen again. Right. So my working group is actually working on other names, and and but now I'm kind of emotionally invested in CIA. So I don't know if I want to change. I think it you or could not. get away with just calling it Constitution in yeah, action probably, as long as you never abbreviate probably, it. Probably could. Question is, um, would I do that? And that's that's the problem. So the argument went that when we write the Constitution. Here was the original argument. Madison put this forward uh, quite cogently in uh, Federalist, I believe it was number 84, if I remember. Yeah, Federalist 84. We don't need a Bill of Rights in the Constitution of the United States because the Constitution, as defined right now, is a limit on the government. This is as, hitherto shall thou come and no further. Right. Was the idea. This was the idea that was presented by Madison and uh, Jefferson. It was certainly held to by Jefferson. If it doesn't say you can do it, you cannot, was their mentality. They actually got into a fairly extended argument during the process, during the the convention. And that's also one of the other things we're going to do next year. We're actually going to have a day-by-day convention report of the Constitutional Convention. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's pretty cool stuff. Um, We're already working on that, too. But anyway, put all that aside. The, The argument went... There was a, a move to put into the Constitution that the Congress of the United States shall pass no ex post facto laws. Now, we know today that that's in Article 1. We, we're well familiar with this, primarily because of the AIG controversy four years ago and the fact that uh, so many of our congressmen, as it turned out, didn't know that that was there and didn't know that they couldn't pass ex post facto laws, which ought to concern all of us. Ex now, what post, is what ex post facto law? Is it a means law after the fact, right? After the fact is Latin for after the fact. What it means is passing a law that criminalizes something that someone has already done in the past, and then punishing and them then for punishing it. them for it in the past. So, any laws that criminalize something that was once legal don't apply retroactively to people who have already done in that. In fact, thing. Blackstone wrote that such laws, ex post facto laws, are in fact. Not even real laws. Right. It's such a ridiculous concept that you can't do that. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a real it's law. It's completely ridiculous. Now, this was the, the knowledge of the men who were writing the Constitution. They knew that they were steeped in the, the tradition of English law. They were steeped in their own laws. Nowadays, we have congressmen who went, what? We can't do that. We didn't know that. In which fact, is, which is amazing. I will quote one of them, a certain congressman from Wisconsin. I believe his name was Paul Ryan. Quote, I didn't know we couldn't do that. Unquote. And that was not in 1868 or 1819. That was in 28 that he said that. Now, does that mean I'm not going to vote? No. What it means is we've got a different quality of people in Congress now than we did writing the constitution well but beyond that i think it's i think you also have to take into account the fact that like you know these guys these guys have have come from england where the crown had all the power at one point and could do anything that it wanted and then gradually started to move towards kind of i mean an arguably democratic system right well they sort of they also came from the parliamentary system where parliament actually had the power and monarchical sharing so forth and so on. The point being that 
the people so that the members wrote of parliament the Constitution, were elected officials, right? Yes. Okay. They were elected to parliament, although some of them were rotten boroughs, let's face facts. <laughs> sure. Um, the point being is that they actually discussed whether or not the Constitution of the United States should say in it, Congress shall pass no ex post facto laws. Their reasoning was very simple in that, well, if it doesn't say they can do it, de facto they cannot, was the argument. Right. The discussion revolved around the fact that, well, we just ought to give the judicial, quote, something to hang on to, unquote. So that if Congress someday, because men are not angels, as Madison wrote, and we cannot assume that our descendants will be as wise and as well-studied and as smart as we are. In fact, we can kind of assume that they'll be idiots at some point. <laughs> we'll come along and try to pass an ex post facto law without knowing that they can't do that because they haven't studied this stuff. So we and better they don't put know it in there. that an ex post facto law is not an actual law. So let's go ahead and put it in there so that the judges will go, oh, look, it's right here. You can't do that. Let me sidetrack really briefly. What do you think would be better if the Constitution outlined the things that government could do or only outlined the things that government couldn't do? That's really the argument, isn't it? Yeah. That really is the argument. And when you get to the Ninth Amendment, the enumeration of certain rights in this Constitution shall not be construed to deny or disparage other rights retained by the people. Isn't that that argument in a nutshell? Basically. I mean, it's so it's so that's how kind of having it both ways. Right. So that's sort of saying here are all the things that you can't do. But just because we didn't say that you can't do this doesn't mean you can just go and do it. That's pretty much the assumption of what it was supposed to mean. Question is, has it ever been interpreted that way? And right. has it been applied that way? I, for some reason, I'm reminded of uh, it used to be. They were the, well, I don't know if it was true or not, but it was long rumored that Google's mission statement was simply just "Don't be evil." It was like one of their right. right. You know, well, what does that mean? Main rules. Well, exactly. But but I think most people have an idea of what that means. You know, especially when you're talking about idealists and that kind of thing, and and which arguably this country was founded by. Um, but then, you know, when it comes, there's always going to be somebody later on who wants to take advantage of that. So, well, is this technically evil? You know, is this something that the See, Constitution specifically says we can't do? And that's where I would kind of disagree. I don't know that it was filed, founded by idealists. I think it was founded by people who looked into the future and thought to themselves, our descendants are going to be stupid. So we better give them this Constitution. <laughs> And well, but where they fell down a little bit. But then you've got you've got things like what was it, it was Franklin? I think you said you know uh, what, you what, what, what yeah if you can keep it and and they all kind of had that sort of thing. In fact, we've gone over a number of different things that are in the Constitution where they didn't mention you know X specific thing because to them it was so clear that like obviously you would never want to blank. You know why why it's would we need of, to put it in there? No one would try to do that. It's kind of like today. If uh, if a kid came to us today and said, tell me about a time when there was no Santa Claus. <laughs> right. We would not be able to do that. Oh, I would. Neither one of us would be able to describe a time that the we time were alive. The time was right now. When there was no, well, I mean, <laughs> all right, John. You get what I'm saying here. I do, I do. I'm sorry. Neither of us I'm have sorry ever, to all the six-year-olds who listen right. to the show. <laughs> Neither of us have ever experienced a, San, a Christmas time that did not involve Santa Claus. Right. 
But that was not always the case here. Right. And it's possible in many of our cases that our grandparents remember a time when that was not so. Really? Mm-hmm. How recent is Santa Claus a thing? I thought, I thought this was a really, really old legend. The legend is very old. How did it become popular in the United States? And when did it become popular in the United States? That I don't know. See? That's I would my have, point. I would have assumed that was the thing that we, that we brought from the old world, even. We would have assumed that. And in likewise, the founders, of the, federa- the, the founders of the federal government assumed that certain things would remain common knowledge. Right. Those things did not remain common knowledge, and that's how we ended up with people who understood that ex post facto laws were, quote-unquote, not really laws. And one of the leading congressmen of the Congress 200 years later going, I didn't know we couldn't do that. Now, you can argue that maybe that congressman had, quote, never read the Constitution. I don't think that's the case. But having read it and having understood it are two totally different things. Yeah. And maybe he just blew by it going, oh, we shouldn't pass no ex post facto laws. Okay, well, if I see ex post facto anything, I won't vote for that. Without ever bothering to say, well, what, what does, does that, that mean? mean? Certainly possible. Either that or you have to believe that he really didn't know that he couldn't do that. And I'm not willing to jump on that bandwagon yet. What, now, I don't remember. What was the specific... The AIG bailout bill where the Congress tried to go back and pass retroactively penalties for the, penal, for the folks who were paid the bonuses. Right. Can't do that. It's ex post facto law. You can't punish people in the past for something they did at the time was legal. Right. You can't do that. And uh, the response was, well, we didn't know. And it sort of died a quiet death. I mean, there was a lot of people pounding the drum for that. And then all of a sudden, one day, it was like, oh, this is sort of in the Constitution. Yeah, we can't do that. And everybody sort of went, and it just sort of drifted (laughs) Just kind of, Nobody said anything about it. Anyway, the argument was that Hamilton... I'll give them that. That's fine. Hamilton put it... You're right. To a degree, you're right. But the point is, it should have never been an argument to begin with. Right. And would have never been an argument if these people had understood what they were dealing with from the word go. Now, how was that not a thing? How were they not having Constitution Thursdays over in D.C. and saying, look, hey, lawmakers, this is what our entire country is founded on. Let's all sit down and talk about on a weekly basis, maybe, you know, what all of these things mean. How do the laws that you're trying to pass apply to these things? Well... There's two, answer, there's two answers to that. One is the assumption that they know it already. But the, the real answer is, what makes you think they want to know that? Yeah. That's part of the problem here. And it comes back to this Ninth Amendment again, which is your argument that, does it say you can't do it? Does that mean you can? Or if it doesn't say you can, does that mean you can't? Which, of course, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others. Retained by the people, the Ninth Amendment of the United States Constitution. It's Afternoons Live. It is Constitution Thursday. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Afternoons live. KFIV 1360 Modesto. Everywhere via the iHeartRadio app on your smartphone. It is Constitution Thursday. Talking Ninth Amendment and really a little bit more than that. We're going to get into some other 
don't want to call it strange stuff, John, but it's, um, boy, this is a thread that when I started pulling on it, man, the places this thing led me are, I started on Monday, very simply, Ninth Amendment, unenumerated yeah, rights. Yeah, here's what we're going to do. Yeah, and, it's funny because I because we're we were waiting for the call from Rick, right? And uh, and Jay called in. He was like, "Well, what about you know Congress going back and passing all these laws and stuff, uh, making putting in retroactive taxes and stuff that go back to the beginning of the year?" Yeah, interesting questions. Huh? Uh-huh. So we're going to get into all of that here in just a moment. According to the traditional view, John, the Ninth Amendment was written to accomplish a different set of objectives. When they wrote it, the tra- this is the the traditionalist theory, if you will. Number one, to prevent the application of statutory rule of interpretation, i.e. inclusio unes est exclusio alterius. The inclusion of one thing necessarily excludes all others. Okay. That's That's It's a big fancy word for basically saying exactly what we've been arguing. Because if we specifically said this, then we must not specifically mean these other things. Exactly. So if we say you have the freedom of the press, does that mean... what is? Does that mean you don't have the freedom of reading? So forth and so on. Uh, to permit the Number two, to permit the Federalists to save face by affirming the argument they had made against the necessity of the Bill of Rights. In other words, we have an amendment here that basically says, no, the Federalists are really right. You really don't need this, but we're going to put it, it in just anyway. Just to be safe because we think eventually society will be full of right. morons. Number three, to confirm the Republican principles espoused by the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists alike. That the people retain their communal rights of self-government. So these were the theory, theoretically, this is why the Ninth Amendment was put in here. But it, it has come over the years to represent so much more of the elements of, well, how do things keep happening if, as, as Jay asked the question on driving by, how, do, how are they passing retroactive laws? Aren't retroactive laws that, and the answer is very simply, is a retroactive tax a punishment? Well, and that's kind of that's that's at least how he looked at it. That it was that not necessarily punitive, but that it was kind of you know a uh, um, mm-hmm. what do you call it? I'm looking for. I'm not sure. It, it certainly it certainly is uh, an encumbrance on you. Isn't yeah, it? right. But is it a punishment? And you'd have to base your answer on the Supreme Court's issue of this year, which is that a tax. Is within the within the power of Congress to do. That's right, because we talked about uh, we were talking about Obamacare, and it was basically like, well, do we call it a tax or do we call it a penalty? That's what I was looking for. Theoretically, they could go back, and I mean, based on that ruling, you'd have to conclude that theoretically they could go back and tax you. I don't know, ten years back, if they really wanted to bear the political capital of having done that. Can't and imagine all of, a, all of a sudden the IRS is sending you a letter saying, "Hey, you owe us like sixty thousand dollars." I can't imagine the reelection chances of any congressperson that voted for that. No. But then again, well, unless you know, as usual, people didn't notice. Yeah, like kind of like TID. So when we get back, I'm going to start pulling on this thread a little bit, and we're going to go to March fifth of eighteen sixty eight. A red-letter day in the history of the United States. That's where I've always wanted to be. Things were different then. I should tell you this up front. The 25th Amendment had not yet been passed, obviously. There were a different system of succession to the presidency of the United States at the time. Oh, and by the way, on March 5th of 1868, there was no vice president. Interesting. Keep that in mind as we take this short break. We'll be back right after this. 
Welcome back, my friends. Afternoons Live, KFIV 1360 AM Modesto. It's Constitution Thursday. Started this with a look at the Ninth Amendment. Like most things with the Constitution, you start pulling on threads and... It's like reading an article on Wikipedia. Yeah, it really is. For TV tropes. <laughs> so March 5th, 1868. We're trying to eat a Pringle. Oh. Yeah, Lay's Baked. That's my... Oh, that, that'll work too. <laughs> you need a bag of those and they're gone. March 5th, 1868 was the first day in a month that it had not rained in Washington, D.C. A few days before, the Congress of the United States, the House of Representatives, had passed overwhelmingly the 11 articles of impeachment against President Andrew Johnson. President Johnson, for those of you not keeping track had been the vice president of the United States under one Abraham Lincoln. One of the jobs, of course, of the vice president of the United States is to Be preside <laughs> over the Senate. Oh, right, right. He is the, uh, the guy that's in charge of the Senate. And that's the, uh, the Constitution explicitly says that the vice president is in charge of the Senate. It's one of the things he does. He doesn't get the vote unless it's a tie and so forth and so on. Bless, uh, bless his heart. That's where he had been when, uh, when Abraham Lincoln was killed. And he then became president of the United States. Now, Andrew Johnson is one of the more interesting characters in our history in that until President Bill Clinton came along, he was the only president ever impeached. Now there have been two, Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton. Yeah, okay, the articles of impeachment for Richard Nixon did pass, but Richard Nixon said, I quit. Let's not do all that. Let's let's not put the country through. I'll just step down. I did it. I'm going to go. Which is fairly classy. Nixon impresses me, and I don't want to get off track here. Nixon impresses me as a guy who, generally speaking, knew the right thing to do. Um... I've got some real problems with his with his domestic agenda, but his foreign agenda was impeccable in so many ways. And I don't have time to get into all that today, but there he did some things on his foreign policies that were have repercussions even today. As the ancient uh, Vulcan proverb says, only Nixon could have gone to China. You knew that, right? That's Vulcan. It is a Vulcan proverb. Only Nixon could go to China. No, it's not. Come on. It is a Vulcan proverb. Straight out of Star Trek VI, man. The undiscovered (laughs) country. Spock said it himself. At any particular rate, Andrew Johnson was impeached. Andrew Johnson was, of course, not elected president of the United States. He became president when, when Lincoln was assassinated. At the time, there was no 25th Amendment. Consequently, there was, in fact, no vice president at the time under Andrew Johnson. Because of the rules of succession at that time, This meant that the Senate President Pro Tem, the leader, if you will, of the Senate, was by definition the next in line for the presidency. Should something happen unfortunate to Mr. Johnson, the Senate President Pro Tem would in fact become the president. This would be analogous today to saying Harry Reid would be next in line to the presidency should, uh, should a vacancy occur. That is not the case today, and we need to be very clear that that is not the case today. The 25th Amendment has resolved this anomaly of how this thing, in fact, we don't have a situation now where you can't have a vice president. Vice president does a vacancy. The president is supposed to nominate, set forth. 
the uh, the situation in the country in 1868 was such that it was not a pleasant time in our country's history. The Civil War had ended, and we today tend to think of the end of the Civil War as this pastoral, everybody laying down their swords, Grant and, and, and Lee sharing rations together with their armies, everybody going back home, everybody just kind of being, well, all right, well, that's over and done with. Now we're all one big happy family again. Sadly, this was not the case. And you need to, be under, you need to clearly understand that the end of the war did not end the animosity. Particularly from, and some of you are going to get mad when I say this, from the radical Republicans of the North, of which Lincoln was a member of that party, towards the South. The radical Republican Party, now finding its leadership in the Secretary of War, one Edward Stanton, believed that the South not only should have been defeated, but now that they had been defeated, they must be punished. Because that's what we need is more conflict now. Now that the war is over, let's Lincoln's start some more second crap. inaugural address with malice towards none and charity for all quickly thrown out the window with the Reconstruction Republican mentality of that government. Andrew Johnson was not a big supporter of this. In fact, Andrew Johnson, by the way, was a Southerner. He was from Tennessee, the eastern part of Tennessee, which was considered loyal to the uh, to the Union. He was picked by Lincoln specifically because. He was Southern to become the vice president of the United States. Uh, The Congress of the United States did not like the fact that Johnson kept resisting the reconstruction efforts, the military occupation efforts put forth towards the South. Johnson was against that. They obviously objected to that. And at one point, Johnson decided that he'd had enough of Mr. Stanton trying to run the government. Mr. Stanton was the Secretary of War, not the President. However, Mr. Johnson had found himself in that position. His argument was, at least I was elected to the Vice Presidency with the understanding that I would come here. You, however, were not elected. You were appointed to this position by Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, if you look at his cabinet, by the way, uh, was was a fascinating politician in so many ways. His, his cabinet made up of people that absolutely hated him, but he needed to get his agenda done, including, by the way, one guy by the name of Salmon Chase, who we put in charge of the Treasury Department and was just absolutely... The guy's name was Salmon? Salmon Chase. And he was a, just the corrupt, most corrupt, uh, incompetent buffoon ever put into That's that position. Awesome name. But he could deliver votes that Lincoln needed. And later on, when Lincoln found out he didn't need him anymore, he needed to get him out of the way. So guess what he did with him? He said, you know what? I don't need you as Secretary of Treasury anymore. I'll tell you what I do need you for, though. How'd you like to be Chief Justice of the Supreme Court? (laughs) And so Sam and Chase became Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. And now on March 5th, 1868, it is Sam and P. Chase who is sitting in the seat presiding over the Senate because, as the Constitution says, when a president is impeached, who presides over the Senate? Right. Sam and Chase put in that position by Abraham Lincoln. To get it out of the way. To get him out of the way, he is now presiding over the Senate, which will determine the fate of the current president. 
Andrew Johnson. Oh, by the way, Whoops. little little, uh, little historical aside here, Salmon P. Chase, Chief Justice of the United States, this is March, and things were a little different back then, but Salmon P. Chase was generally considered one of the leading contenders for the election uh, coming up very soon, that, that November, for the presidency of the United States. Really? Hmm. A lot of stuff going on here, isn't it? A lot of stuff happening. We'll get to the impeachment here in just a moment. It is Afternoons Live. It's quarter till Constitution Thursday. Stay with us. We'll be right back. So, welcome back. Afternoons Live, KFIV, 1360 AM Modesto. Time compressed here, so I'm going to try to get through this as best I can, quickly as possible. This always happens, though. It always feels so short. The Ninth Amendment, of course, deals with The idea, in my mind, is that it is there to remind us of the fact that we need to understand a lot of the reasons why we have a Bill of Rights, which is the anti-Madisonian mentality, which is that it just because it doesn't say you can't do something doesn't mean you can, which has become the prevailing view of the Constitution. As we looked at March uh, March 5th, 1868, the, the starting day of the trial of the impeachment, for Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson was impeached for 11 offenses, according to the House of Representatives. What, he fired Edward Stanton as Secretary of War. This was in direct violation of a congressional law. Congress had passed a law saying, you can't fire anybody in the cabinet without our approval. This, had, of course, was n- never intended. If you read the Constitution, you'll find the president is permitted to have his advisors at his, as, who serve at his pleasure. And report to him. Congress had usurped authority that did not belong to it, passing the Tenure Law of 1867 specifically to protect Edward M. Stanton from Andrew Johnson, who was known to dislike him. He did fire him anyway. In fact, not only did he do that, but then he hired a new guy. He tried to hire, well, he did. He hired General Ulysses S. Grant to replace him. Grant came in and said, sure, I'll do it. And then about three months later realized, yeah, this really sucks. I'm not doing it. I'm not getting involved with this. This is totally not as good as war, even. Walked out, said, nope, not doing it. Then tried to hire General uh, William Tecumseh Sherman, who said, "Eh, no, in his inimitable style. Then he managed to find a guy by the name of Thomas, General Thomas, who he appointed as Secretary of War, Lorenzo Thomas. Um, So he was accused of doing that. So he dismissed Edward Stanton. He appointed General Thomas. He appointed Thomas without required advice and consent of the Senate, did so as a recess appointment. He conspired with Thomas and other persons of the House of Representatives unknown to unlawfully prevent Stanton from continuing in office, conspiring to unlawfully curtail faithful execution of the Tenure of Office Act, the conspiring to seize, take possession of the property of the United States in the Department of War, i.e. Stanton's desk. So why was Stanton their buddy? Why, why are Stanton, they like looking out for him Stanton so hard? Stanton was the leader of the radical Republicans. He was the heart and soul of the Reconstructionist Republican Party. He was the leader of the Republican Reconstructionist movement. So all of the rest, and the rest of Congress that felt the same way, he was are the guy in charge. For him, he was the Secretary of War under under Lincoln. He prosecuted the war, and it was felt like he was the guy that really ran things. Mm-hmm. Not so much Lincoln. Lincoln was kind of a figurehead in their minds. Uh, there were nine other, there were 11 of these total articles that he was impeached for. The problem, that, of course, came about. You had a situation here where the, um, the guy that was the Senate pro tem at that time was a guy by the name of Ben Wade, who was a senator who, um, well, 
how do I put this best? Wade would, of course, moved into the White House. So the theory was, if he was convicted, so the theory was, how can you let someone, and Wade was the senator, how can you let someone who would benefit from a guilty verdict sit in judgment of the president? Exactly. And that makes perfect sense to us. Right. Yet the Constitution doesn't address that. It says he shall be tried by the Senate. So even though it felt wrong to everybody, they were like, well, the Constitution doesn't say we can't do it. So does so that mean we can? Go ahead and do it. Does it mean what we can? In addition, you got this Salmon Chase sitting here who's running for president. Could he not benefit from all this? Indeed, there were so many things here of element when it came to, well, it doesn't say we can't. Does that mean we can? Right. Does it say we can? Does that mean we can't? Well, it's like saying, you know, hey, you, you know, if, if like the 12 jurors on a trial got to decide whether or not this guy got to keep, you know, his money or whatever, and if they decided he didn't, it was split up amongst them. Bingo. You know what I mean? That's what terrible. if they benefit from this? Right. And again, to us, we look at it now and we kind of think, well, didn't make any sense. When well, Bill even Clinton complete was morons know right. the phrase conflict of interest. When you say that, but do they? Oh, well, they throw it around a lot. I'm just saying. <laughs> when Bill Clinton was impeached, this was not the case because it didn't, the, the, the president pro tem of the Senate was not in line. But now the problem is, John, that the Senate is supposed to try the president, and the Senate is made up of two senators from each state. And if you deny one senator the right to sit in judgment, one state is being shorted. And by the way, it's a little bit different in the judgment of an impeachment trial. It's not the states are involved in this as well. Right. And if you take out a state's vote, you're denying the Constitution. What does it mean? The rights that shall be retained by the people. And it became this hodgepodge of a mess in so many ways. And indeed, I don't have time to go into the whole thing. But for three days, three days, senators argued, gave speeches in the floor of the well of the Senate. Pro and anti, whether or not Senator Wade should be allowed to sit in judgment of President Johnson. For three, three d- it took days, them three days they to argued all of this. Wow. And in the end, well, a long story short, President Johnson was acquitted by one vote. Three votes they took, three times he was acquitted by one vote. Wow. Because seven Republicans. Seven Republicans looked at what was going on and said, you know what? This is BS. This this Office of Tenure Act is unconstitutional anyway. It says right here the president can do this. And these are the guys who are supposed to be the Reconstructionist Republicans. Right. They the, defied the guys who their party and said, we're not doing that. This is wrong. Which is what a good politician should do. Theoretically. And Andrew Johnson, of course, was not reelected to the presidency of the United States. In fact, in uh, that fall, General Ulysses S. Grant, who had managed to extricate himself from this whole thing, was elected president of the United States. But at least he wasn't, like, forced to step down over some, you know, BS like that. The Ninth Amendment addresses the issue, but never makes it clear. Does the Constitution mean that you can't do something that it says you can do something that it says you can't? Right. That's the Hamiltonian model that we've been left with, and that's the presumption, and that answers Jay's question. That's why they believe that. They believe that they can because it doesn't say you can't. And you can find the roots of that really in the trial of Andrew Johnson. And I'm out of time. It's back in 60 seconds.
Madison's proposed Ninth Amendment, as it was then and eventually passed, was an attempt, an attempt to avoid the result feared by others who contended that the Bill of Rights would, quote, imply that whatever is not expressed was given, which is not the principle of the proposed Constitution. You'd have to argue that that's the interpretation today. Certainly, it's the argument that Alexander Hamilton put forth. Well, just it doesn't say we can't, so we must be go able ahead to. and do it. And that really is uh, is really where the problem has lied in a lot of ways. And it's a lot of a lot of people look at the Ninth Amendment and go, "Huh? Unenumerated rights? What does that mean?" Well, I'm not sure that they know even today. Where is the right to bear arms in the Constitution? It's in the Second Amendment. That's where that is. Well, I, I, I had a, lot, a whole lot more to this, but obviously we're out of time. We'll, uh, we'll maybe come back to this on another day. That's Constitution Thursday. Thanks, everybody. Thanks to the sheriff for being here today, and thanks to each one of you for listening as well. We'll be back tomorrow for a Friday episode. we got fun with news tomorrow and top five scariest places in the Valley. Text your list in or email them. 565-DAVE is the text number. You can even voicemail them to that number later on if you'd like. Or you can email them, Dave Diamond Show at clearchannel.com. Take the time right now. Tell the people that matter in your life. You love them very much. You'd miss them if they weren't there. So don't pass up those opportunities. You don't want to have that regret. I'm Dave Diamond. That's John Constantine. Have a wonderful evening, everybody. And we will see you tomorrow for Friday episode of Afternoons Live on KFIV, 1360 AM Modesto. Everywhere via the iHeartRadio app on your smartphone. Stay tuned. Rusty's next. See you tomorrow. When you're happy. Afternoons Live is a Slippery Fish Entertainment production for Clear Channel Media and Entertainment Modesto.